Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 Players' Championship DraftKings Picks and Preview and Strategy. Remember, out there, you want to help out the show? You smash that like button. You give me your favorite play below $7,000 on DraftKings for the Millionaire Contest this week on DraftKings. A lot of money to go around. You want to get your hands on some of that? You might as well get the best tools and stats in the biz. FantasyNational.com. If you want to get the monthly membership right now, it brings you through the masters. So go to fantasynational.com slash Mayo. You get yourself 20% off. It'll be like five bucks for per tournament. I'm going to guess, especially if you're playing in the millionaire tournament that you're playing more than five bucks a week. You might as well put those stats and tools to the best use possible. Also, if you want to get into a draw for $100, there's a bunch of different draws, but here's one way you can do that. Hit the description of this video on podcast. There's a brand new show launching on Mayo Media Network, Fantasy Baseball Picks and Bets. It's going to be twice a week during the preseason, then every single day during the season with the plays of the day, the bets of the day, all the DraftKings picks that you can handle. If you go leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts right now, along with your Twitter handle or email, it's just some way we can contact you contact you if you are a winner you'll be in that draw for 100 bucks winners announced on next monday's pat mayo experience other ways two more draws for 100 bucks go to at the pme on twitter my account you will see a pinned tweet up there and you shall follow the three things that you need to do to enter one of those draws it'll take like 10 seconds might get you 100 bucks hell you might even win both of the draws if you do it more than once and we're all good to go uh and also subscribe to mayo media network on youtube help us out in that regard share the show around tell some friends because i got some great guests with you today first up from the rick run good youtube channel he's everywhere you want to be it's rick gaming what's up <laughs> pat players championship week good to be with you and i won't spoil i won't spoil who's coming next but this, these are my favorite shows right here i'm stuck for it uh, well we did this exact same show last year i think i was even wearing my matching players blue with the gold just like the players championship then we got one round and then you know golf went away for three months but from awesomeo.com, as he usually is on these major and the fifth major type shows for DraftKings. Also going to be joining me live on Sunday evening to fill out our March Madness bracket, which we won two years ago, the last time that we had it. It's Ben Raza. What's going on? Yeah, man. It was, uh, I remember this well. Decky was actually good the last time we talked about the players. So I'm excited to pick up where we left off last year before everything stopped okay let's jump into this strategy for the players championship on DraftKings. there's a millionaire contest available there's also a bunch of other ones i check my notes every single year for this tournament and it just says don't invest a cent in this tournament it's super random uh giant names miss the cut all the time because there's so much water all over the course so ben i'm actually trying to win money this year at least just not lose all of my money um and that's going to be a tough task because it's me, for one thing, and it's this really random tournament. When we're talking about the very top-end players, do you think it's wise just to look at the ownership percentages and say, you know what, I'll just take the guys that no one else is using because it's all just random anyway? So on a macro view, yes, there is that. There's an element to that in golf all the time. Uh, I don't know if it's like a, something you know that's like a hidden secret. I think people know how high variance it is. But when you bring in water and you bring in this course uh, – it's even more magnified. I do think though more, it's more that what you got to do is you got to be able to look at some things and say, okay, it's not perfect. You're not going to find the guys 
where it's just like, all right, he's got course history, never misses the cut here. There's just random years. They're outliers all the time with every guy. And I think you just need to be able to live with that, embrace some of that, and use a little game theory that's always useful. So, Rick, the last two iterations of this tournament, obviously Rory won the last time it was played in 2019. But other than that, you look at the rest of the leaderboard. It's all like when we talk about like stars and scrubs build, it was a bunch of scrubs. The year before that, Webb Simpson won. I think he was $7,300 that year. Each of the top six DraftKings score were $7,300 or cheaper that year. So we know that the entire field is in play for a tournament like this. So what do you think the best way to approach a lineup is? Yeah, embrace volatility, right? That's kind of what we're talking about. This is this is Florida golf on steroids. It's Pete Dye, it's water. There's just a lot that can happen. So embrace that volatility. You know, we've seen guys like Johnny Vegas in 2019, which is the last full year that we had this. You know, he he finished third, I believe. Uh, you look at the winners alone. The differences between Rory McIlroy, Webb Simpson, Siwoo Kim, uh, Ricky Fowler. I mean, there's just, there's no real strong threads between those golfers. When I run the model every single week and find out what the most important key stats are, nothing really stands out. This is, this is a place that you have to have a complete game and a lot of things can go sideways very, very quickly. So uh, I think it's about embracing that volatility and yeah, being, being around for the ownership projections and kind of letting that dictate some of your decisions, I think is, is warranted this week. Real-time ownership projections are available on FantasyNational.com. The first run is up there right now. But again, we are recording this very early on in the week. If you check back on Wednesday evening, you allow those ownership projections to mature. And all of a sudden, they're a bit more accurate than they would be very early on in the week once people actually make some concrete decisions about everything. So once again, FantasyNational.com slash Mayo to get yourself the discount for that. And you're going to want the exact same thing for the Masters coming up as well. And all of the tournaments sandwiched in between. So when we think about constructing lineups, Ben, how do we build, do you use more players in your player pool this week than you normally would? I guess is my question. So, yeah, I think there is an element to that just because I don't care who we just talked about this. Even if you're talking about the safest guys on the board, there's just more miscut equity than any other tournament because of just the nature of the course. So it's really hard to say that you're going to jam up top. You kind of want to have a, I don't know, I'd say a more balanced portfolio. And depending on how you structure that, uh, as Rick was talking about, anyone can kind of win. So you're, you don't know, you know, sometimes you know that most likely the win equity is going to be up top and you need these other guys just to make the cut. This week, it's not really the case. Your fifth or sixth golfer could actually be the one getting the majority of the placement points and your top end golfer could be the guy who's in a middling result at the end. So, Rick, one of the things that I ran through the modeling, and I've already done the walkthrough show that's up on Mayo Media Network right now, if you want to see how I used Fantasy National to kind of get to what I'm looking for this week. And then the show with Jeff is already out, too, if you want some of the bets for the week. But, I mean, a heavyweight on approach, but that's always going to be the case. I added in a few weird things. Like, I added in fairways gained. I added in eagles gained, because those are like, especially for DraftKings scoring, something like eagles gained, where you can reach some of these power fives. I do think that there's an element of putting luck that goes into that because you have to make the putt once you get it there but the guys that just generate these eagle opportunities i think are a way to squeeze a few extra points out of your dk lineups yeah, and I also think that there are uh, specifically there's there's a lot of golfers that routinely outperform their finishing position with DraftKings points because they are able to go on birdie streaks. They're able to make an eagle uh, once or twice over the course of the event. It was just a, a few weeks ago at the WGC Workday, Bryson finished I think T22 and was seventh in in DraftKings scoring. Some of these guys have that ability, but what I think we get when we get to either a major or really anything that has a, a millimaker is 
DraftKings almost entices you to make a balanced build, right? You know, the pricing is fairly soft with a field of 154 golfers where 48 of them are, are top 50 players in the world. I mean, it's absolutely stacked. So you get some really great names that are cheaper than usual. And now guys, with the the withdrawal of Brooks Kepka from that 10K range, it, it kind of makes that range a bit weaker as well. I mean, there is a real enticement to potentially even starting your lineups in the 9K range and going with like a pure balanced build at this. Yeah, that was my initial lean on everything too, to start in the, just because there's so much volatility, just save the salary, start in the nines and maybe even go three nines and then go build that version of stars and scrubs, not necessarily balanced, but go two nines and eight, then like two low, uh, two high sixes and a seven, something like that was my initial thought. But the more I look at this, let's talk about the $10,000 players. You have Dustin at the top. He's $11,200. I don't think a lot of people are going to use Dustin this week, to be perfectly honest with you. Then you got Rom, Rory, and Xander Brooks obviously has already withdrawn. He was 10100 So it can consolidate some of the ownership up here with Brooks out of the mix. But every lean that I have so far, Rick, is Rom. Rom, Rom, Rom is kind of where I want to go here. Yeah, and he probably um, should have won this in in 2019, or at least contended. He finished T12. It was the it was the 11th hole on Sunday, where we all remember he's standing there with his with his caddy, and he's trying to figure out if he should lay up or try to carry the water. He uh, kind of brushes off his caddy, goes for it, and doesn't even come close. And then it was that was all she wrote from from there. He finishes T12. So he's got a little unfinished business. I don't mind that. You know, I think I think Rom is certainly you know you get the discount from a Dustin Johnson. I think ownership for me is going to play a large role in this 10k range you know dustin johnson which you mentioned if nobody's going to play dustin johnson uh, remember he's still the number one player in the world he's coming off an event at the wgc workday in which he lost 10 strokes putting by far uh one of the worst putting events of of his career uh, that's almost certainly not going to happen again so I, i'm really probably going to let ownership dictate a lot of my decisions up here in this range ben how are you addressing the top of the board because for the first time in ages it does strike me that this might be a situation where people just don't make Xander Shoffley the number one owned player. So yeah, we're going to break a lot of uh, new grounds on the show. I actually like Xander and I don't think I've ever said that <laughs> part of it is because he's it's early and we'll see, but I think he's perpetually overowned. He's always mega chalk and I don't get it. I don't think that's going to be the case here. It's just a very flat range. Uh, I think the Brooks ownership, if there was going to be, will go down to JT and, and Bryson who we'll get to. So Xander is interesting. He was runner up here. Uh, obviously, all these guys have the game. I think Rom would be the guy I, I would gravitate towards, you know, just in a vacuum. Um, like Rom, been on him all year, and I think he's going to have a big year. But Xander really does strike me if the ownership is at a normal level. Um, I guess, though, I have to bring up, of course, I don't know where people are at with Rory. Obviously, the form isn't bad, but it's the same story. He's even admitted as much. Uh, with that quote that something's just really kind of missing right now and he's he's kind of sputtering so I don't know what to make of him at 10 and 6 and I don't know what the field will do with him either I would guess and this is just an early week prediction that Rory will be the highest owned of the $10,000 level just because he's been playing pretty well he just hasn't been closing on Sundays or he's been out of it going into Sunday and then firing around so if you just look at his recent form and you look at the results it's pretty good he is technically the defending champion at this event, even though it was in 2019. He's played die courses pretty well over the course of his career. He has a major win at Kiowa Island, where the PGA Championship is going to be again. So 
I think that there's a lot of good vibes. Plus, when you mix in the public element to this, Rick, where the millionaire contest on DraftKings is just going to lure in a bunch of people that aren't necessarily every single week PGA players, that Rory just kind of sticks out, especially at that price point, doesn't he? Yeah, he's he's kind of the household name here. People are going to click through the logs, like you mentioned, Pat, and kind of see what's going on. And and let's be real. I mean, Rory McIlroy, uh, if you're not one of the top 10 players in the world, every single other guy would die for the, the results that he's had in the last 14 months that we're saying is such an utter disappointment for Rory McIlroy because he's failed to win. Last week at the API, argue he didn't play all that well at all. 10th place finish. Uh, WGC Workday didn't play all that well. 6th place. I mean, it's, it's incredible what his floor has become even though we're not seeing that ceiling Rory where he goes out and barnstorms everybody and wins by four or five shots we have not seen that version of Rory in a long time we see it for one round or two rounds in a single week but he can never put all four together but we really need to remember the floor and how consistent he has been because uh, like I mentioned if you're not a top 10 player in the world these are unbelievable results when you just look at it on paper what your guys' early lean and mine was towards that balance build with the $9,000 level is at least proving itself out early on during the week that most of the highest owned players in terms of DraftKings ownership are living in that $9,000 area. Do you think there's any merit? I mean, there is always merit if the guys end up winning. Just to say, screw it, I'm going with two 10K guys and building from there. I'm probably going to do it. Uh, I'm not to say not to say I don't like the balance build, but I, I think there's enough value here that you can go rolling two of three. I don't want to throw Dustin out. That's always a stupid idea to say that. But in my mind, uh, I'm I'm kind of envisioning running two threes where I'm either going Rom Rory, Rom Xander, Xander Rory, combinations like that to start. You could throw JT in there. He's 99. Um, I kind of like the idea of having two of them in a lineup. You get a lot of win equity, but you're not breaking the bank either. There's plenty of guys to round it out with as we'll go lower. Yeah, the early week simulator on fantasynational.com, I think it's going to run again. So a thousand simulations of this tournament. I don't want to give too much away, but the one guy that sticks out as the one who wins, not most of the time, but more than any other player in this field is actually John Rom. Uh, one of the reasons that I like him so much. And Rick, do you think that double 10K build to start will make your team almost unique regardless of what you do? Yeah, probably. Like like we mentioned, there there is there's almost such a natural push to be balanced in weeks like this. Deep field, millionaire maker, soft pricing so that if you do jam, if you get to 10K guys uh, and you have to go down and you have to get some non-household names, which is not what the common player wants to do. They want to get guys they've seen in Ryder Cups and at the Players' Championship. Like there's going to be Matt Kuchar love this week from, from the commons. So yeah, I think that uh, if you go to two guys in the 10K, you probably don't have to worry about ownership uh, later. You probably don't have to worry about um, you know potentially leaving money on the table just because you're, you're much more likely to be unique in that scenario. I mean, it's not, maybe just not the quote unquote commons that like Matt Kuchar this week. Maybe Pat Mayo is kind of maybe oh on Matt Kuchar this week too. I mean, I saw some life out of those irons at the concession. Maybe he can foster that through. He has a very good track record, a former winner at this event in the past. But let's talk about these 9K guys and try to parse it out. It sounds like everyone's on the same people uh, across the industry, and it's only Monday, so maybe people will talk themselves out of it like I normally do. So you got JT, Bryson, Webb, Morikawa, Hovland, Cantlay, Finau, and Reed. 
I have it narrowed down. I've already bet Patrick Reed at 40 to 1. Me and Feinberg jumped on that. And I'm trying to make the decision between Cantley, Morikawa, and Webb, probably two of those guys that I want to bet this week. But now Justin Thomas is in this like 20 to 1 betting range as well, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. You can get him at 22 to 1 on DraftKings Sportsbook. That just seems like such a gaudy number that I don't know what to do with Justin Thomas. His driving has been abysmal, Rick. Like he's been worse than he's he's been worse than Speeth off the tee over the past month, which is alarming to me, especially with so much water around this. Can you full out fade Justin Thomas? You're not going to feel good about it, obviously. And like, I'm considering a bet to win on him at the same time. It's just, I know I can't take all of these guys. I have to cross someone off the list. And I feel it might be Justin Thomas, which absolutely terrifies me. Yeah, that's probably not going to be my route. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty big on on JT this week. The the really dismal driving week, and he's had a couple in a row. But the the, the bad one was losing nearly six shots at the concession, which you know it did that to people. Now the flip side to that is he gained nine and a half strokes on approach, only second to only Colin Morikawa, and it's very rare that the number three player in the world gets to fly under the radar into, into the players championship. And it's kind of what's happening right now. So uh, yes, there are some concerns. I think that Justin Thomas is certainly more volatile uh, than a lot of these other guys in the nine K range, like your, you know, Webb Simpson, who we say is, is so solid and Patrick Cantlay, even Tony Finau, who has just been piling up results. So I think you just have to understand what you're getting from Justin Thomas at, at this point, which is uh, a very high risk, high reward play compared to the other guys in the nine case. Ben, Justin Thomas and Webb Simpson currently rate out as the highest projected players owned in this field for the Players' Championship on DraftKings, followed very closely by Tony Finau, and then you're into your Morikawas and Cantleys. It does seem like you're going to get a bit of a break, or you're going to get a huge break on Patrick Reed, so I think that just leads us both to Patrick Reed, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, Patrick Reed, I, I do. I will say I like him more as a bet, um, just because he's somewhat of a, a polarizing guy, but Absolutely. And this is the good thing about the players. There's not many because I, I don't love uh, some of the some of the things we have to deal with here. But the good thing is if you have a pretty strong take on a fade and you're willing to roll the dice, the payoff is massive because it's not one of these tournaments where even when guys don't have it, they get through like Ty Hatton and then he storms up the leaderboard and it's like, oh, like guys are going to get cut. So if you if you get it right and you go against JT or Webb or one of these guys, it, they might not be playing the weekend and you can really pick up. So uh, I'm definitely going to embrace that. It's not going to be with Justin Thomas. I do like him. I, I think uh, he's got to work out the driving, but the irons, of course, are solid. He's just a a damn good player. I love his game. So I'll probably try to differentiate elsewhere. Uh, Reed is, of course, as usual, under own, though. Uh, I will most definitely be going with Reed, probably not in a super high percentage of lineups. I did that last week. That did not turn out well, but almost like Justin Thomas, Patrick Reed is one of those players why, where either he has it that week or he doesn't have it that week. But we know that the win equity is going to be there for him. And when I did the research show, I kind of pointed to different courses over time where players have had crossover success so you have all of the pete die courses obviously but the wyndham championship is another one where five of the past 10 winners at the wyndham championship have also won the players championship patrick reed does fall into that bucket that was his first career win at the wyndham championship uh, last decade early last decade because patrick reed has been around for a while does have a die win uh, at least uh, two of the rounds at the american express in his career as well he did the wyndham and then he followed it up with that siwoo is also also won all three of those events too when we go back and look at it but what about Bryson Rick let's do it let's do it yeah I mean listen this is 
He is 9,700 and the pricing came out early. Uh, if it came out on Monday, like it normally does, is he a thousand dollars more expensive yes. after winning the API? Like, yeah, that's, that's what he would be. He'd be $10,700. The two, uh, while they're not as strong as last week in terms of correlators to the course, uh, the two strongest correlators that I could find were strokes gained off the tee and, and birdie or better percentage. And we know that, uh, Bryson is the man, uh, by, by and far by himself in strokes gained off the tee and he's a top like 15 player in birdie or better percentage. I mean, he just absolutely fills it up. You're getting a built-in discount on him and you want to talk about win equity. This guy's won three times in his last 15 starts. This, this to me is, yeah, let's, let's go with old big beefy Bryson. It's funny, Ben, because it doesn't seem people, although that there's an apparent discount on his price from what he should be, especially when you compare him to the betting odds, it, it doesn't seem like he's going to be super popular. Yeah, that's that's frustrating because like Bryson's the perfect guy uh, if ownership masses. Rick just talked about the wins in between the wins. Bryson's live to miss, you know, more cuts than you would think based on his talent because he's that kind of player. So when ownership masses, it's always a very lucrative fade for me. If it doesn't, though, uh, you're capturing a ton of win equity. The betting markets bear that out. He he's just a little more likely to win than the guys that he's around. I think that's pretty clear. So he is one of the guys that in this tournament, you have to say it. I truly don't have a take. I will let the field decide in some regard. If Bryson becomes extremely popular, I'll be underweight. If he's for some reason leverage, uh, I will be overweight because there's no doubt he can he can blow away any field. He has that gear. There's no doubt. That's a mistake that I made last week, despite even calling it out on the Wednesday live chat. There will be another Wednesday live chat this week, 12 p.m. Eastern time on mayo media network so please subscribe now you got any questions even if you can't make the chat uh we do a question and answer period in the comment section of that show too if there's a lineup decision that you need to make so please help us out and keep smashing the like button for everything that bryson last week was the obvious play because he was the obvious leverage above ten thousand dollars and i was like ah screw it bryson's not gonna win and then bryson goes out and wins and i feel like a dummy by playing patrick reed and tyrell hatton who you know if i just played bryson instead of those guys i would have won money last week which would have been glorious but for me, Morikawa and Cantley are most definitely on my rosters. Reed is going to be on my roster. So I'm going to eat the chalk on Morikawa and Cantley. That leaves Hovland and Finau in this range, Ben. I don't really have, I don't play these guys all that much, which is weird because they're really good. Maybe that's why I lose money. I mean, it, the problem with the players is you can't, if you're trying to get exposure to everybody, you're just going to end up having an uneventful, slightly losing week, most likely. You'll rake yourself. You have to make some stands. So it's never going to feel good, but. That's just the nature of this. I think I'm drawn a little more to Finau. Um, he's just, what can you say? The game is as tip top uh, as it comes. He's gained across the board in three straight events. He's just playing world-class golf outside, you know, uh, not winning. And that's borderline random when you're putting up 64 on Sunday and still losing. There's nothing you can do about that. So all systems go for him. It's just anyone you click in the nines is an opportunity cost because the guys right next to them are also world-class players. Rick, are you a Finau man? Are you a Hovland man? Or are they a fade for you? Oh, man. I'm pretty interested to see what happens with Hovland this week, right? Because he was the flavor of the month. He was uh, one of the most popular players on, on the face of the earth. And then he goes out and, and just falls apart on the weekend. And I don't know how the public is going to react to that when now, to to Ben's point, he is surrounded by world-class golfers. And if you want to look at, you know, the smallest of sample sizes, the one round from last year, because this is, you know, this is strange where we have a lot of these world-class young stars who are technically playing this event for the 
first time, but we have that one round. Hovland was in seventh when this event ended and was canceled last year. He played great from tee to green. He gained over three strokes there, as you would expect from Victor Hovland. So I, I'm I'm probably building steam on him as this week goes on, and I'm hoping that people look at um, you know just the finishing position. I think it was 49th last week, and they look at guys around Hovland and they say, "I'll just try somebody else this time around," because I think I would like to to take a little bit of leverage there. Yeah, I think that it's more likely that I end up playing Hovland than Bryson in this spot. And I would think, unless the steam builds behind him, that he will be one of the lower-owned Nike players. And really, it's tough to differentiate between all of these guys. Like, there's no real difference. I mean, skill-wise, yes. But if we're talking about finishing position, whether it be Cantlay, Morikawa, Hovland... Finau, all of these guys, it's almost a coin flip who finishes higher at this point. Growing up cereal was one of the best parts about being a kid, but I had to give it up because being an adult and eating sugar-filled snacks is probably not the best move. Doesn't make me feel good, put it that way. So I've been cutting down on carbs and sugar and trying to cut down on the unhealthy foods. And basically I realized couldn't really eat anything anymore. So that wasn't great. But with the new year already into it, and you start your resolutions a little bit later than normal, we're all trying to eat better. But a healthy breakfast doesn't have to be boring. Magic Spoon has amazing flavors that you love. And with, get this, none of the bad stuff. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving, and only 140 calories per serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Also, it's very good. Highly recommend some Magic Spoon. And we got some exciting news. Magic Spoon will be releasing two new amazing flavors this month for a limited time only. And we're talking about, get this, cookies and cream and maple waffle. Sounds terrific. And if that isn't the most comforting, indulgent combination, then I don't know what is. This is the ultimate treat-yourself combo. So make sure to get some while you can for a limited time or just build your own box available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are coca fruity frosted peanut butter and cinnamon if you're listening from canada magic spoon now ships there as well along with the united states and here's the move you want to do i mean you can do different things like mixing coca and peanut butter together because it tastes exactly like a peanut butter cup but just get a whole bunch of the fruity stuff the fruity Magic Spoon cereal is amazing. Highly recommend. When I first got it, I wish I had gotten eight boxes of it instead of just two, because uh, I would have just plowed through that and eaten it for every meal. Could not recommend highly enough the fruity flavored Magic Spoon. So go to magicspoon.com slash mayo to grab the new limited edition cookies and cream, maple waffle, or a custom bundle of cereal to try today. And to be sure to use promo code mayo at checkout to save $5 off your order. This offer is good now anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, but only when you use our code MAYO at checkout. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash mayo and use the code mayo to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. So let's talk about the eights because 
I feel like this is where you're going to get your leverage because no one really sticks out as an ultra popular play. Hideki projects as the highest owned right now, but he's not even over 15% at the moment. I can see some steam building behind him only because he, you know, he was the first round leader here last year. He has a good track record at this event. He finished the weekend pretty strongly at API. So people want Hideki to be really good. But if we go to the very top, Scotty Scheffler is sitting there at $8,900. Then it's Hideki. Then you got Spieth, Hatton, Casey, M. Fitzpatrick, Adam Scott, Jason Day, and that is your entire $8,000 range. The only one that I currently have in the player pool, Ben, is Hatton. Your boy. No Decky love? Decky actually looked like Decky for a change. Yeah, I, um, I would much rather take, honestly, out of all the guys in this range, besides Day and Scott and maybe Fitzpatrick, I think Hideki would be down in that range. I'd rather play Hatton. Casey would be second. Im would be third for me. Casey's first for me, so I really like the spot for him. Um, usually I'm more worried about ownership than anything else. The game is in solid shape. Everything that I do, and, and certainly Rick and you are, are more, you know, in tune with what comps, but in my deranged mind, uh, Valspar kind of comps. So that seems good for Paul Casey. I like everything about his game. I think he should and will excel here. So if the, the price is reasonable, if the ownership is reasonable, uh, 8400 that that's an easy buy for me. Rick, no do, you, good? do you like Jordan Spieth more than all these guys? actually kind of so uh i mean I'm, I'm i'm a pretty big sucker for burger i'm a pretty big sucker for for hatton in most cases uh the speed thing's real like it's it's really real you know i know it's four in a row where he's gone top 15 but if you look at his round by round strokes gained he's gained in 14 of 16 on approach that is something that took him a long time to do to get to 14 rounds where he gained on approach uh before this stretch of golf since the farmers insurance open he the, you know the argument that we make a lot about um, you know, Paul Casey or Colin Morikawa or guys like that. We say if he puts to a zero, he's going to win a lot of golf tournaments or he's going to be in contention a lot. For for Jordan Spieth, if he drives to a zero, he's going to contend and he's going to win in a lot of golf tournaments. And that's essentially what he's doing right now during this stretch of golf because the approach game has been so good. The short game is uh, magic beyond belief that he can pull it out when other guys is, just cannot. And when he gets rolling, it starts to get a little bit scary. So, so yeah, I mean, Jordan speed's rolling right now and and this is the best we've seen him play in three and a half years ben did i end up talking you into speed last week oh you absolutely did uh that was a wild wild situation um yeah last week was almost dangerously good but that's neither here nor there because i was just, i stole both of your plays i stole lanto from rick and i stole speed from you and it, it, things looked good until sunday but the, the one question i had with speed is even if he's back and he's at the height of his powers the players is not exactly the course that I've always envisioned for him. And th the history kind of bears that out. It's not to say he can't play good here. That is my one concern. I really do believe that he's back in form and we, we're going to see a lot of good golf in the future. Just don't know if it's at Sawgrass. It's funny because I would have made that same comparison to say that like Genesis doesn't set up for him or Bayhill doesn't set up for him. Yeah. But he just keeps playing well. And that's fair. Absolutely. Genesis is like, I couldn't think of a worse situation and he was positive off the tee there. And if, as Rick said, uh, you don't need much. You just need to set the table. He will do it consistently with the rest. Uh, there's just a lot of water though, man. A lot of water. Is someone like Matthew Fitzpatrick in play at this course? Because he was so popular last week. 
and it's not like he disappointed. He just didn't win. He still finished inside the top 10. He was 10th. Uh, so he had a fine week, but he was trading a lot of birdies for bogeys. Uh, didn't have the hot putting week that you would hope that he would have when you want Matthew Fitzpatrick to break through. But it just seems like one of these situations, Rick, where one guy is so popular one week and then just no one wants to use him the next week, despite the fact that he didn't do anything poorly. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, and I think that, you know, for, for me, Matthew Fitzpatrick, um, he has a pretty wide path to like that top 20. I think he has a much more narrow path to victory, but that might not be what you're looking for. If you're rostering Matthew Fitzpatrick, he hasn't had a great run of success at Sawgrass, which is probably, I, I don't know what to do with that. Right. Because, because we talk about Spieth and, and Ben is absolutely right. He's been terrible at Sawgrass, but then we look at Casey Casey's probably been even worse at Sawgrass. He's missed the cut in, in half of his dozen trips you know Fitz, Fitzpatrick has him I don't know if we should be chalking up course history this week as as more random or there's something to it I'm kind of torn on how I want to treat these historic results yeah the, the one thing that worries me most with Casey is just he's never gained he's always lost strokes putting at TPC Sawgrass in his career. It's never been in the positive, but just his ball striking and irons are so good right now. And I, I want to correct myself. Matthew Fitzpatrick did have a good putting week at API. He had a very poor iron week because he kept putting it into the fucking water. Very disappointing. Uh, it, was, it was not great news because he could have been there in the end. He just wasn't. So Hatton, Casey, M for me, are my early leans uh, in this range. But let's go down into the sevens because this upper sevens, I do think, is the money-making type of plays if you have the guts to take some of these guys. So Neiman projects as the highest owned at $7,700. Zalatoris will be incredibly popular, as will, I want to say, Tommy Fleetwood. I think more people are going to glom onto them than people expect just because people love playing Tommy Fleetwood. I like Cameron Smith a lot, but... Ben, has there ever been a better play than Louie coming off a WD? <laughs> nope. I I incurred the Louie WD for this moment. Like, I'm already <laughs> invested from that, but that's what Louie does. He builds up, and then he clears the ownership with one absolutely mind-boggling decision after another, and that's where we're at right now. Uh, I'll go back to Valspar, another. Louie is playing great. Uh, irons, everything that you want, and people overrate, even though it's incredibly frustrating, they overrate the risk of Louie doing something that we call like peak Louie. Realistically, um, he's just as likely, maybe slightly more to withdraw than any other random guy. So 7,800 sandwiched between guys. You, you just mentioned Neiman. I, I do like Fleetwood, but so does everybody else. Louie is the clear roll of the dice, and I couldn't be more excited. How? What's your take on it, Rick, when it comes to Louie this week? Do you think that people are in line with us and be like, oh, this is great news. He WD'd, everyone's off of him. Then everyone just plays him. And then he's not low ownership at all. No, uh, at least not based on the comments or the tweets that I get. I mean, the, the amount of things that I see that are like, I'm never rostering player X again. Like, it, I think it's real. So I, I agree. Louis is in a prime spot. We are penalizing a guy, or at least the 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 masses are going to penalize a guy who did not hit a single shot last week. And when he plays, when he plays, he plays really well. Of course, he has a runner-up finish here because he's Louis. Uh, yeah, this to me is one of the better leverage spots. There's there's also another one i think down the bottom of the sevens the sam burns at 7300 but like yeah this is this is a pretty exciting spot to to roster louis and that's something i never say so i think that there is a difference because we we don't even really know why louis ended up withdrawing because i mean he does this from time to time maybe as he woke up his neck hurt a little bit and that was just the end of louis but justin rose is also right there too he is not withdrawn from this tournament ban uh, but it looked like he hurt his back that would actually legitimately worry me that he's hurt 
Yeah, I'm I'm a little worried. I'm not a doctor. Obviously, what? I will say that he just made a nine uh, right at right before his back hurt. Um, I don't know. I, I that stuff. The timing of that stuff is a little little suspect. And Spieth is rolling. I don't know if Rosie wanted to stay around. If he's in the field, I'm going to assume he's good to go. Maybe you're incurring more risk. But again, it's all relative to the balance of ownership. I'm not saying this is the case, but if Rose is 1% owned because everyone is worried, you don't have to be right that many times. You know what I mean? So it's baked in. Well, Rick, if you go back and like watch what happened with Rose, you can see it on the second hole. Like he could barely pick his ball up out of the hole from the second hole. Then he just goes in the water. That was the end of him. So, but back problems really do worry me because it's not like back issues just get better in a week's time. No, they don't. And, and, and that's right there. And there were reports while he was on the putting green uh, before that round started that he looked a little ginger. So uh, I'm generally in the camp of Ben, which is if he's playing, I assume he's healthy and we could get Saturday or Sunday and it flares up again and we never know. But um, you know, these guys generally take care of their body. It's, it's going to be a situation where without injury reports and they're all, you know, independent contractors, we're never going to know. So maybe you take three or four more percent uh, likely that, that Justin Rose is going to withdraw from this event. It's still going to be a very, a very low number. I believe. Neiman Chuck, everything makes sense to him. It's weird that he is not valued. I, I guess it's not weird because Morikawa has a major in a WGC and four wins on the PGA tour in two years. <laughs> uh, but I mean, Hovland has two wins. One of them is Maya Coba and one of them is Puerto Rico. Neiman has a win. He has been contending in a lot of big tournaments, but he's $2,000 cheaper. His stats look almost the same, except he doesn't make quite as many putts uh, when he runs hot as Morikawa and Hovland do. Although, like baseline, they're all kind of the same putter. I can get why people are on him this week. I don't know if this is a spot where I want to say, hey, I want to take the most popular guy in the $7,000 range. Yeah, I think that's right. I, yeah, I think I, I think this is where we kind of want to draw a line. There's there's so many ways to differentiate. You don't have to be on the chalky guy in the in the seven K range, also because I think there's a lot of other options here. You know, Will Zaltoris is going to be popular. Max, what Max Homa's doing right now, kind of in a similar price point. This is going to be, I believe, his eighth week in a row playing, which is a little bit scary. But it would have been super easy for him to just pack it in after Riviera, uh, cash that big pay- paycheck, get the emotional win, and not do anything after that. I mean, he finished. 22nd at the WGC finished 10th last week. He's playing really well right now. And I don't think anybody's going to be all that interested because of the guys around him. I was actually thinking Kokrak, Ben. Oh God. Um, He's been playing great. No, he, he, he has been playing great. I just, you know, oh man, I, I see it. I, I don't mind it. I'm interested to see where his ownership falls because he's been paying people off. And, and certainly last week there's a number of people, I guess we're just throwing names out because I was thinking answer uh, oh, as I, the leverage. I, I love answer. I, okay. I, answer will not be low owned by the time this tournament comes around. Everyone I've talked to is on answer. Myself included. All right. Well, yeah, myself included as well. And listen, Neiman, I think the funny thing about Neiman is it it, it feels like it's like, well, he's in a different tier than those guys because he's, you know, he's been around. He's old, like he's young, very, very young. He was just out there when he was like 15, it feels like. So Neiman's got everything that you want. Price is very appealing but I, this is where I think you have to embrace Sawgrass a little bit. Like the miscut equity for everyone is higher. And if ownership masses in the sevens, now we're talking about really easy pivots for me. Despite liking Neiman on paper, there's nothing wrong with the play. 
but I don't think it's a huge gap between him and, and the pivots we're talking about. So you have Zalatoris, Rose, and Fleetwood. I'm expecting to be the three highest owned of this upper sevens. That leaves Cam Smith, who I think will garner ownership. And outside of one round at the WGC, has been amazing the past two times that we've seen him. Do worry about that driver a little bit, but it's not like you're going bombs away off the tee here at the same time that you can kind of dial it back a little bit and increase your accuracy. But the pivots to me would be Kokrak, Louie, I mean, Louie for sure. And then you got Billy Horschel sitting right there, Ben. <laughs> yeah, Billy Ho, we'll see uh, if he's rested from yelling at everybody. He only played two rounds at API. I mean, listen, we, we've seen him thrive in Florida. And Pat, you've talked about this a lot. The good thing about Billy Ho, you're either, it seem, seemingly you're either going to get an ice cold putter or a magma lava putter. And you want to embrace that. Like he gains a boatload of strokes on the green, or he can't hit anything. And when you're talking about tournaments, big time prize pools, you'd rather have that than a guy that's just flatlined. So I get it. Uh, I'm not running to the window to play him per se, but he does have that upside because of that putting. Right. To kind of pile on that, Rick, we're looking at last week in two rounds, minus three strokes game putting for Billy Horschel at the WGC, plus 5.6 at in Phoenix, minus 1.2. Missed the cut at the Farmers in one round, lost a stroke putting at the Sony. He gained eight. And uh, we go back to the Zozo, minus 4.2. We look at the US Open, plus four. We go back to the Wyndham, plus seven strokes game putting. Like he's just a teeter totter when it comes on down to it. If you can pick the right week with him and maybe you just play him blindly, like, just to try to catch one of these weeks, but not a lot of people are playing Billy Ho after last week. Yeah, he's a maniac. Uh, and, and I think the one thing that is is really uh, overlooked with a lot of guys, and I, I throw Jordan Spieth into this category, Billy Horschel certainly fits this category, is the dude's a grinder, which which matters, right? Morikawa is the same way. Like, if he bogeys his first two holes, uh, he's not packing it in. He's not thinking about what he's doing for the weekend. He's going to give you full effort every single shot, every single putt. And there's a lot of guys on the PGA Tour that, that won't do that. So uh, I... I don't know how that eventually translates into finishing position or fantasy points or all that good stuff. But I like to know uh, that my guy's not going to make a nine and, and kind of punt himself out of the tournament. He's not going to go full tin cup. He's just going to figure out a way uh, to try to take an edge on every single shot and see if they add up after two rounds or see if they add up after four rounds and see if it's good enough. So Ben, the rest of the seven thousands here are the guys that I have identified. I don't know if they're going to make the player pool. Yep. These were my shortlist players. Malinari, Answer, English, Henley, Tringali, and see woo, Kim. Although the best odds value on the board, board per price is Christian Bezadenhout, who for whatever reason is like 70 to one to win this tournament. <laughs> that is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is where I start to get into my themes of like, how am I going to build them? Am I going to take some guys that maybe have to survive off the tee? They're in the web bucket. Might take some guys, really good drivers, you know, Bryson bucket. Uh, Kisner has his own bucket, I guess, because I just play him. Um, I like Lanto. I'm just going to stick with this. I, I hadn't been a believer. Man, Rick, I should have been doing this for years. This is great. You just play the guy, and then he just makes the putts. He doesn't screw anything up. Gaining T to green right now. I, I know it's a, probably a step up for him. There's no doubt. But he seems to answer it time and time again. So I'm going to look to him on certain teams. I, I, I do like Kisner. Uh, in the same spot he has I mean he's just a winner big time player I looked at Ricky but I, I can't do it um uh, his, that's his, all I his new name is actually Richard Flower <laughs> anything to help him that's fine they should he should stick with that alias uh that they gave him 
Um, I don't know what to say of Ricky. It's the putter's now broken again. I thought it had life. It doesn't. Uh, Cooch is the other guy down here who I mentioned off the top earlier. I don't think that he's going to be popular, Rick. I don't think he should be popular, right? I mean, what what version of, of Matt Kuchar are we in right now? You know, I think that he ran uh, well over expectation for probably 12 to 15 months where he was one of the shorter hitters on the PGA Tour. He had to be so good with his irons. He had to roll He had to roll in so many putts, and he did it, right? He was, he was winning golf tournaments. We have not seen uh, really that version of Matt Kuchar in a long time, and I'm not even sure, Pat, that, that Sawgrass can, can rekindle that. I did see life from the irons at the WGC, and that's against one of the strongest fields on earth. That I mean, he lost four strokes putting, came 44th, but a lot of that was due to one round, kind of played well, uh, rounds two, three, and four. That I, I, there could, I don't know if he has the most upside here, but it's not like old dudes can't play well at the players. Uh, that's true. We have seen old dudes play well at the player. He's not particularly long. You can, uh, you can get into trouble. So if you game manage a little bit more often, uh, it, it is beneficial. I will say this, the, the Christian Bezaden who love, uh, you know, we talk all the time about Hideki being your first round leader last year. It was Bezaden who, who was in second when this tournament was canceled. So maybe a little bit of uh, one round sample size that is moving the market a, a hair on, on Bez. I just feel like he's so smoke and mirrors in a in not a way where I'm used to it on a consistent basis like if you go back and look at his past seven starts worldwide I mean I don't think he's missed a cut since last year's Scottish Open over on the European tour but he had back-to-back wins in South Africa to cap off 2020 he hasn't missed a cut so far in 2021 between PGA and Euro now yes one of those was a WGC he's coming off a good week but if you just go back and look at his American starts it's all losing strokes off the tee losing strokes on approach getting a bunch around the greens and putting the lights out like that's his entire game it seems yeah i mean i'm not gonna be on him this week he is he is he gained over 10 strokes in short game last week uh, around the green and putting he lost both off the tee and he lost on approach that is a recipe for disaster my friend so uh yeah i mean it would be cool to see but uh, i will have uh, almost zero investment in 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 christian Bezaden. uh ben it feels like that is the only player that I would feel comfortable trying to do that, not even Spieth, I would feel like he can try to do that because I would want his approaches to be a little bit better. And then he gains like nine strokes putting because that's like the Jordan Spieth recipe now. But like Matthew Fitzpatrick seems to be the mold of this type of player. Yeah, I mean, there there is something to that. And Bez is another guy just to... I'm not, first of all, I'm not playing this guy, but I will say he is another one though. He's, he's in the formula of just give me zero off the tee and then we'll, we'll see what's what. Uh, but it, it's a, it's a next step to say, give me zero with the ball striking. That's now you're really uh, looking for chip ins and putts and with the South Africans. I, I mean, this is just what happens with these guys. They're very hard to break down and, and he's, he's a talented player, but like, Poulter is right there, uh, much a similar type of game, but I trust him a lot more. I just don't think there's really a reason to go there uh, if people are starting to notice. I think that's a little, little overblown right now. I will mention that on Daily Fantasy Sports, Picks and Bets, The Mix on Mayo Media Network. You can subscribe to that podcast, but Skylar Hoke and Tom Jacobs are going to be doing a double duty for the European Tour this week. They approach everything from a European Tour angle, so they're going to be breaking down all of the lesser-known Euros in the field at the players. That will be up on Mayo Media Network, and they're going to be breaking down the Cutter Masters. If you want to get try to play some double action or get on Euro DraftKings or Bets, they'll have a full breakdown of the European Tour schedule this week, too. So so go check out Mayo Media Network. 
we keep mentioning these guys that if you can take a zero off the tee, that that's good enough. Why aren't we talking about Kevin not Rick? Oh boy. Um, interesting. So, uh, I, I, I don't know why we're not talking about Kevin. Na. I think that very, I think that Kevin Na is volatile, but consistent. It's weird. We know exactly what to expect. It is that he is going to have a very, uh, his narrow path to victory because he's a short game specialist, but he gets to that path. He gets to that victory much more often than a lot of his other peers do because of what his incredible upside is. So I think the reason that he doesn't get talked about is there are outside of TPC Summerlin, uh, very few places you can feel comfortable that you're not just throwing a dart at Kevin. Nah, uh, I, I think you kind of, hit it with, with Billy Horschel. You either always play Kevin Na and just try to find the weeks that he's going to go nuts or you never play the guy. And I think more people opt to never play him than play him. I think that's why the, the sentiment is the way it is. How do you feel about Na, Ben? Because it does feel like versus almost everyone down here, like Bubba Watson aside, because I just don't think he's ever going to win the Players' Championship. There are certain courses where Bubba's win equity would be through the roof, but it does feel like Kevin Na has the most of all of these guys. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. I, I guess the difference, it depends what you're evaluating. If you're looking for a winner, it would have to be Kevin Na on this range. I think Kisner uh, is similar. But if you're talking about any other metric, made cut equity, top 20 equity, things like that, I have him towards the bottom, which is why I think I'd be more prone to bet him. He, You can find him probably north of 100 to 1 uh, out there. And that is appealing because it's more of a kind of a binary guy. He pops randomly. He wins more events than... I don't want to say then he should, but he, he gets it done when he's up there. When he's not up there, though, there's a lot of bad things that can happen. And that's where I think it comes from. People don't want to go a month with missed cuts to potentially get that one uh, golden week. Yeah, I find this range to be incredibly tricky because my eyes, like I said, were drawn to answer Henley and Tringali just off the outset. And Siwoo, because it's a Pete Dye course. It's the players just play Siwoo and just hope for the best. I have, Rick, do you have the round one stats from last year? Wasn't Siwoo like minus six or something? Oh, I can tell you that if you'd like to vamp for three more seconds. I can do that. But so, okay, we'll go to Ben for this one then. Does that leave, I mean, we talk about Kevin Na. That's a ton of leverage. Rick had brought Mm. up Sam Burns uh, a week where he's mega chalk. Now no one wants to play him. He's a much better price and maybe in a better situation here. uh, Just coming off a rebound. It's not like he was horrendous. Uh, Yes, he missed the cut. He was horrible in round one. But we see this from Sam Burns from time to time. He rallied to make the cut on Friday and then gave it all back towards the very end. Like a lot of guys guys did so i don't think he's like completely off westwood is down here no one's going to use him ryan palmer 7300 no one's going to use him it seems like ortiz and sergio are sandwiched between answer and connors who are going to be popular and ortiz has just been spitting out great results recently like there's a lot of players down here that you can go to is that do you just avoid the ownership because all the guys that are popular i really like Yeah, I mean, listen, in general, people are popular for a reason. People, you know, the field isn't stupid. They, they're they gravitating to what they see and what the stats are telling them in some regard. I think it's just about evaluating chance of success versus the ownership. Uh, the most popular plays are more likely to succeed, but are they 10 times more likely? Probably not. So if you're going to tell me that some of these guys, Sergio or, you know, Kirk. have a naive and you're getting a massive discount in ownership. That's what you have to consider, but it's a six man team. Uh, doesn't have to be unique all, you know, individually, it's just gotta be unique together. So you got to keep that in mind when you're building. The last name I'll throw out Rick, before you regale us with your Siwoo, <laughs> Siwoo Kim stats, Brennan Grace, who 
just he got the win in Puerto Rico, played well at API. He has a win at what I would call a corollary course at the Heritage. It seems like his game is back. Yeah, and I was also pretty impressed with the way, you know, it's there's I love to quantify everything and I love to to not play the narrative game, but it, it is really hard to get an emotional win for the first time in a while, fly over here and play well, which is what, which is exactly what he did, right? He flew from Puerto Rico and he, and he came over here. So uh, it's always really impressive when guys are able to do that and, and being able to back it up uh, is certainly a good sign. Siwoo Kim was second after round one last year. He did it in kind of typical Siwoo fashion, which is three and a half strokes gained on ball striking. He was great on approach uh, gained in every single category. There we go. Got to play him. Ben Ann is another one who was first round leader here. I think the year that Rory won and his game is all over the map. He's doing it in very un byun and ways recently. Like he's losing strokes off the tee. He's losing strokes on approach and his immaculate around the green game is bailing him out, but he's made every cut so far this year. And his best result was actually at the Amex, which had three rounds of Pete Dye courses this time through. Oh yeah, Benny. I mean, what can you say? He's he's an anomaly because most horrible putters I would know because of Grio, they're horrible around the green players. That's not the case with him. He's an amazing around the green play uh, player. Normally though, he gets better ball striking than we've seen. I'll probably. <laughs> I wish you, you know you guys are talking about quantifying everything. I wish I had strokes gain data on Norin outside of the 18th hole last week because he played well and then he just tripled it seemingly every day uh, that I was paying attention. So. I'll probably look to him. He did it all with the putter, but Noren's built for that. He kind of grinds it out. Flat seven's really interesting. A lot of weird names right in that range. Yeah, he was top 10 a few years back at this tournament. I That was the year that, I think it was the C Woo year, that it just played really, really difficult with all of the wind around. I think the worse the conditions at a course like this, the better Noren is going to be. Definitely. So I want to talk to you guys very briefly before we get into the sixes about everyone freaking out on Louis WD. Oh, I had Louis in my lineups. You said that you were a victim of this, Ben. You had Louis in your lineups. Is there an answer to figure this out? Because I think that Matt Smith had the best idea, but I don't even know if there's a case you can make that it's completely unfair. So I saw other theories floated out there that, hey, if Louis withdraws, just give him like someone at the similar price. I think that's completely unfair and no one should ever have to do that. Replacing him with the person that replaces him in the field is the most logical answer to it. But then you get into a situation where I didn't get a chance to take that guy. Yeah, I mean, what I would do is do nothing. Um, But if you were going to do something, you just have to remind people that the guy who they're replacing him with, you know, it's not the best quality of golfer. And yes, could that guy play well? Of course. And that would be a random stroke of good luck, but it's either that or just withdraws even out um, over time. It's just the, it's the nature of it. Other sports have it. I would do nothing if it was me, but you can't give someone, you can't be like, Oh, I'm going to pivot to the guy next to him. And now the ownership <laughs> on someone that you evaluated it is now like double because of a withdrawal. That would make absolutely no sense in my opinion. Yes. I am firmly on the side of if you have the WD it's shit luck and you have to yeah. move on to next week. It sucks. It's, it's happened to me so many times, like playing Jim Furyk at the tour championship in a 30 man field. Oh, he withdrew. Great. Now I'm done for the week. I can pack this in. Maybe I have to make a live bet or a showdown lineup or something like that. But Rick, this is the same way as it is like UFC is a perfect example of this. Like once the event starts because ownership means so much, it's not like 
baseball where you know late swap is available or but even in basketball on DraftKings at the same time like if you play a guy and that game starts then all of a sudden he's ruled out which happens all the time you don't get to change your lineup you just have to eat it it happens yeah, that's that's right. And uh, Ben, I pulled that number for you. Alex Norin lost five strokes on 18 last week. <laughs> you see uh, what goes on here? There you go. So um, anyway, it, it, you know, listen, I'm I'm fully in the camp of right. You're you're SOL, right? It, it's 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 part of the game. It rarely happens. The logical thing would be to replace them with the alternate. But what happens when you get to a field uh, that doesn't have an alternate, right? You get to a WGC. You get to some of these inv invitational events where uh, there is not a guy waiting in the wings for a withdrawal. I and mean, what if he withdraws? You know, like how close to lock or I guess after lock does it have to happen? I mean, the the real answer. I, I want nothing to happen, but the real answer could be you start seven and your best six scores count. That's obviously completely changing the software, completely changing the strategy, completely changing the system. Um, and I guess when two of your guys withdraw, we'd hear complaints as well. So maybe that's not a real answer either. Yeah. I, I think it's almost an impossible situation to figure out that the rule itself, well, it sucks when it happens to you, but it's the same for everyone. So I think that's the way yeah. the, that's the difference between replacing it with something else is that it's not the same for everyone at that point because like even like pat perez replaced louis in the field last week at api pat perez made the cut last week like if that was a situation like we don't know if louis would have made the cut or not like it's i get that argument the most out of anything that you replace him if he is replaced by someone in the field then you take that guy i probably wouldn't have a problem with that but it, like you mentioned ben it's really dicey yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but the, I really truly believe, and listen, this is coming from someone I've played, Louis did this to me in a major, like that was the worst of all of them. Um, it happens though, but there's also, I'm sure, many times where someone is withdrawn, it's kind of like hole in ones, where it's like, what should they do with that? And I, I love that they changed it a little. It's very lucky, obviously. And when it benefits you, it's great. And when it doesn't, you're like, oh, this rule, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it all it all evens out. I think changing it radically, uh, as Rick said, you would have to re probably revamp the entire format to do something. And I, I don't know if Usti uh, should revamp DraftKings. That, that's a stretch to me. $6,000 level for the Players' Championship. Giving it a quick scan right now. I don't know what to make of Gary Woodland, Rick, but he seems too cheap. Yes, I guess. I, I mean, it has been, uh, you know, some of these other guys that have struggled, Ricky Fowler, uh, have provided a lot of cover for Gary Woodland, who's a U.S. Open champion and has fallen off the face of the earth. Now, a lot of that has been kind of injury related and the stats uh, haven't been there to back it up. You know, it, it, I think he is just as much of a dart throw in this upper 6K range as a lot of these guys. I would probably prefer him over the Bird Wiesbergers and maybe the Charlie Hoffmans, but I'm I'm I think he's accurately priced in, in this spot. Ben, 200 to one is a bet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't you know, as a bet, it's always more interesting just because you're you're completely wiping away the floor and the floor has been the problem for Woodland. Uh, I like a lot of guys in this weird range, though. Charlie Hoffman is actually striping it. Now, he's another one where we may have to revisit what happens when your guy withdraw rules because he's another candidate but he when he plays the irons have been on fire I, he was great at api rio has been uh he he went to puerto rico and figured some things out he's back in business hopefully it plays easy this is where you have to start thinking about themes 
Like if it's horrible and, and scrambling is important, well, I'm not going to play him, but if it's just, you know, aim and fire dart throws, I'll go to him. Uh, Russell Knox in theory makes sense, but as we've seen uh, at 17, he he's had some issues in the past. The game, I don't know where that is either, but there, there are guys down here. I think this is why, just to sum it back up, you can be aggressive at the top. There's plenty of real names still in the sixes. So the two that really catch my eye off the hop, Ryan Moore at 6,800, Norlander at 67. Norlander has sunk my teams on the weekend. He came second DFL to Ricky by the time all was said and done, but he is just someone, he's going to hit fairways. He's going to strike the ball really well. He's sort of like the discount version of Corey Connors this week. We didn't even really bring up Corey Connors. I just assumed he was going to be super popular uh, coming off a really good week. And like when I ran the stat model, he was was number one in the stat model so he's going to be highly owned this week you know if he goes out and wins god bless you Corey. i'm rooting for you good good canadian guy but i probably will not be taking you uh we threw him out ben on last week's show be like you bet him at 175 to one right now and then just don't worry about it yeah i wish i actually listened to myself there and did that i did not do that uh now he probably will win yeah now he's like 70 to one or something like that but rick when you look at it like moore's ball striking has kind of been there he hasn't made a putt in like three years but on paper, this is a perfect setup for him, I think. On paper, it is, but I was I was looking at this earlier. I'm pretty sure he's the guy with the most starts at this event without a top 10, <laughs> uh, which is a little, a little alarming. So on paper, it is a better fit than what is actually happening on the course. Uh, I think he's fine. I, I, do, I do agree with Ben that there's a couple of ball strikers here. If we think Emiliano Grillo is kind of interesting, we have to think that Brendan Steele is pretty interesting. He's having a great start to his 2021 season. He had a close call at Sony that he probably should have won. And then also, if you're kind of sticking with that dart throwing theme, Matthew Neesmith is here. And, and Neesmith lost four strokes putting at Bay Hill last week. It was one of his worst two rounds ever. He still gained two and a half strokes on approach. He's been one of the better approach players this season. Uh, if that's the the model, as Ben is referring to, the type of player we're trying to find in, those, in this range, I, I think there's some really good options. So I would also throw out two guys that have had success both at Heritage and Wyndham in the past. Uh, Actually, they had their only wins on tour have come at those two tournaments. One is JT Poston, Ben, and the other one, CT Pan, who looked good at Riviera all of a sudden. So JT Poston, I want to play, but I don't I don't think I can do it. His game is smoke and mirrors. Yeah, it's something like that. It's it's <laughs> not good. Um it's hard to back a guy like that because even with the putter very good right now, it's not really doing much. Uh, he needs the irons to come along. He used to have the formula like Wyndham Clark and some of these guys where you gain off the tee and you gain with the putter. You don't need your irons to be that good, but it hasn't been that lately. CT Pan is just perpetually underpriced to me. Uh, I'm not saying he should be like in the sevens or anything, but he's almost the min uh, week after week. And, and for me, some of those type of players can still be effective. How about someone, and this is actually a decent discussion to have Rick because um because the players was moved to March, you have these Bermuda grass greens, but they're overseeded with like bent and POA at the same time. So they kind of fall into a category of their own. Uh, I guess they're probably pretty similar to Valspar type greens. Now that this tournament is played in March. So it's not like pure Bermuda when you're looking at it, would that lead you to someone like Shez Reevy, who's kind of has the Ryan Moore type game, but we've seen him win on POA greens out West. He's won on POA greens on the East coast, somewhere like, TPC River Highlands, which is another Pete Dye course. Do you think he could be back in play? 
Uh, yeah, I do. And I think guys like that. And I think it's, it's really sharp to remember that this is an event that used to be played in May now, just the second time being played in March and the over we're in overseed season. So it's not those Bermuda. It is that, that, that POA bent kind of mix that they, that they put on down there. So I think that's really sharp to start looking at some of the corollary courses, um, you know, like TPC river highlands, like some of the California courses where, you know, over the course of the day, that POA can be a bit trickier and some guys love it. Some guys hate it. Actually, most guys hate it. Some guys are just better on it than others. Uh, and someone like a Revi, especially in this range, we're, we're, we're looking for one or two things to really grab onto uh, to have this probably be our last man into our lineups. And I think that's a really good place to be, Pat. Uh, any other $6,000 shots? Ben, it did seem like until Sunday that Doug Gim, the Gim Reaper, my guy at 6,200 was shaping up to be like 40% owned, but then he had a bad Sunday and no one wants him. Yeah, him and Jazz put on a uh, anti-stripe show, but you know these guys. It, it's it's amazing. That's where it's funny. It's like if you miss the cut on the number, sometimes it saves you from what could be horrible, horrible strokes gained for the next two days. Gim flashed, then fell back. I don't know how low I really want to go. You've got names. I mean, I I looked at Keith Mitchell. I will say I looked at Andrew Putnam, who has a, another guy. He's, He's back. in that bucket. I, I don't know if he's back. I don't know if he's ever been anywhere, but he's he, again, a wizard uh, around the greens putting. If he gains with the approach, like he did at API, he's very effective. His driving is abysmal though. So uh, he is someone that fits that type of style. It just depends what you're looking for down here. Rick, the only other guy, I think he's the dead min. He might be six. No, he's 60. No, let's see here. What is he? I'm such a sucker for this idiot, and I play him, and he misses the cut by like a million strokes. But Andrew Landry is $6,100. He's made the cut in both appearances here. He's won at a Pete Dye course in the past. Uh, he's won in Texas on like some of those faster bent type around this time of year that it seems really cheap for a guy that actually has upside. Now, he has incredible downside, but so does everyone, basically $7,000 and below. I mean, everyone at this tournament does in general anyway, and he just kind of seems to come out of nowhere from time to time. Uh, he certainly does that. I mean, it, this it will benefit Landry that this is not a particularly long course, right? I mean, it's going to play, I think the scorecard 71-69. It's a par 72. So uh, you can kind of get around here. And it's why we've seen some of these older kind of game managers at times have success. I would, I know Landry's not that old, but I would kind of put him into the game manager ilk. So uh, yeah, you're never going to get a foreshadow from Andrew Landry telling you that he's that he's trending in the right direction. He's just going to pop up and win uh, the American experience express and he's going to contend at times. So uh, yes, I believe his upside at $6,100 is probably more uh, than his peers. I, he's, he's just as likely to miss the cut as, as everybody else in this range though. So I guess if you're looking for upside, that's not so bad. All right. Last one for you, Ben nasty Nate Lashley, who almost came through for us at, um, at Pebble beach and just wrote a heater of irons through Phoenix and Pebble beach. But he's a very accurate player. We know that these irons can heat up. Um, I don't hate him. Yeah, nasty. I don't know if I've ever played him. Um, I probably should I, I, at life. 64, Patrick Rogers. I'm just looking at these names. Patrick Rogers, Rory Sabatini, Nick Taylor, Charles. Um, Warinsky. Yeah, Warinsky. That's going to be a no. Hollywood Hoagie. I, I really think with me down here, and this is this speaks to like how many players in, in your player pool, it's really about looking at what you need. Like, if you say I've got a very conservative chalky lineup, 
And I just need a wild man. Maybe it's Andrew Landry because he, as Rick said, randomly can pop. If you're just like, you know what? I've taken some crazy guys. I've already leveraged. I just want the safest possible guy. And it's still relative to the sixes. Maybe it is someone like Nate Lashley, who I do think is more likely to make the cut and come in like 45th or something like that than some of these other guys. So it's about balancing your team. You're not going to find anyone checking all the boxes down here because if you did, they wouldn't be uh, 6,400. That's just not possible. I can't believe we got through an entire show and you didn't bring up Aaron Wise. Yeah, I know. I, I can't. He's him and Tom Lewis. What a, what a duo. Aaron Wise has lost 18 strokes putting in his last three events. Uh, that doesn't seem good. Maybe the, I've only golfed literally once in the past 20 years. It was with both of you. So I don't know what overseeded with this other stuff maybe that helps him uh because the ball striking tita greed wise he he's fine but he, he is just as broken as any person on the tour putting right now you know who i will throw into that bucket of broken on the greens rick is munoz that's my guy yeah uh he had a he had a stretch of golf at the end of 2020 that was uh, very inspiring and to put uh him being broken on the greens is uh, yeah, that, that sounds about right now. There, there's, there's, there's this very fine line, Pat, right? We're, we're constantly like, oh, you know, that, that putting that's volatile round around it's volatile week to week. It can come around. There's a point where you're just broken, uh, and, and it's not coming around anytime soon. So I, I don't know where we fall with Munoz. I lean towards broken more than check back in a week, but that's just me. The approach game is still there, though. Even at API, 3.1 strokes gained on approach. At WGC Mexico, we came 22nd, 4.9 strokes gained on approach. And those are, I mean, the WGC is a no-joke field at all. Like, those are against the best players in the world, and he was able to gain strokes with them with his irons. But just looking back at, you know, in his past five tournaments, and some of these are only two rounds because he's missing cuts, he's averaging 1.1 strokes lost putting 2.6 last week he gained 3.8 at genesis out of nowhere but 3.8 strokes lost the week before that in a missed cut in two rounds at sony minus 2.7 at toc minus 1.2 at rsm in one round minus 4.1 that if you can catch him he's also one of these guys that when he gains he tends to gain a lot when he does it he seems like a gamble to me at 6700 he's been really good for the past year yeah, and, and the, the back end of that stretch where I was referencing at the end of 2020 that he was playing well, it, it wasn't because of the hot putter. It was like he was either losing a stroke and a half or gaining a stroke and a half over the course of the week. That's where you want to be. That's your zero putter uh, mentality. That's the formula. That's that's the way that he gets himself into contention. So uh, compared to some of these other guys, yeah, I, I would certainly like Munoz because you're right, Pat. This is an extended period of time. And and some of the events that he's done it in, the, the WGCs, the CJ Cup, the, the Zozo Championship, they're big time spots and Munoz seemed to find a way uh, to at least find himself on the first I don't know two pages of the leaderboard yeah and like he was eighth at the tour championship eighth at the BMW ninth at the CJ Cup 14th at the Zozo 19th at the Masters it all kind of got away from him towards the end but it feels like this should be a good spot for him the price is right he terrifies me but I bet I really want to make a commitment this week to playing guys that I feel like not necessarily aren't good but I just wouldn't normally play and that's my new strategy for the players New strategy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Munoz, this is very anecdotal. I, I will say I had him heavily last week and I followed. It, you texted me about him. Pu- yeah. Yeah. I, I did. Uh, I did text you about him. He was making putts. He had, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. He had just like multiple four putts where he missed 
you know, three footer, you know, he three putted from four feet. So to me, if I'm trying to take a, a half full approach, I would rather have that because I think it's easier to clean up than someone who just can't make anything. Like he made his fair share of putts out there. He just had a couple holes that are, you can't do that and expect to compete. So I do think there's a little more volatility within the strokes putting for him. Uh, that's all I got. But yeah, I did. I was not happy with the first four putt, never mind the second. All right. Let's finish this off. If we had to narrow it down to a core two of players this week, Rick, who do you think would be in your core two? Two guys you got to play. I'm a sucker for Val, like what the spreadsheet says. So it has to probably be Bryson one because I think he's $1,000 uh, too cheap. And then the other one I think would have to be this is to I this is gonna kill me. Spieth, probably. Oh, wow. Uh can you look up to see where Morikawa was at this tournament last year for round one? Because I'm gonna throw out my two. Hatton is definitely going to be one of them. And for whatever reason, I can't figure out why he's not popular this week because his struggles all last week were putting related. Each of the past two weeks, his struggles have been putting related. And historically, not that bad of a putter. So $8,500, I think, is a nice value for Hatton, especially where he's not going to be incredibly popular. After that, I think it's between Morikawa and Cantley, and I just feel like Cantley not necessarily is a bit... I think he's safer because his putter doesn't go ice cold like Morikawa's does, but... Morikawa probably has more win equity when it comes down to it. So Cantley and Hatton are going to be my two guys, Ben. How about you? We're all in the same range, which is interesting. Mine would be Paul Casey uh, in the eights. I just feel that the game is right there. Uh, I think the course history is going to suppress ownership when it really shouldn't. I mean, this is, I think Rom is the extremely safe up top. Uh, that's the one guy I would focus in on, but he's, that's kind of a cop out. I'm going to steal you with him. I'll second Patrick Cantlay. He, he withdrew, you know, no big deal. I think that's kind of got people with the mind. He's playing such good golf, consistent, reasonable price. So if you're going to go balance that, that's someone you really have to consider. Rick, what do you have on Morikawa? Seventh after round one, he was uh, two and a two and a quarter strokes on the positive in terms of ball striking. Uh, he gained three putting pat and actually have a little anecdote about this because uh, he came on the CBS first cut podcast. We interviewed him during the shutdown and he referenced this round right here where he said he found something on the putting greens and he was going to try to keep that going into the restart. And he did for a while until he lost it. Then he changed grips. We know what happened at, uh, whatever the week before the WGC was Riviera. And then he goes out and wins the WGC. So it's been, this is, this is a place that hopefully he can rekindle some of those, those putting vibes. I feel like his game is perfectly tailored for this course. Like everything he does well manifests itself at Sawgrass. He's accurate off the tee, but he can still hit driver. He has the best irons on the planet. And when he gets hot putting, he gets really hot putting. Yeah, he I mean, he fits he fits a lot of places. And this is certainly one of them. The kid's unbelievable. And if he if we say it all the time, if he's going to be a zero putter, God forbid, a, a, a plus one, it's it's going to be terrifying for the rest of the tour. Yeah, it, it's a lot like Justin Thomas usually is Ben, although his driving has just been so piss poor recently. But that's usually kind of the method that he wins. He just gains a bunch with his irons, drives like two or three strokes gained on the field with the driver and then, you know, make make point one better than the field of your pots and you win yeah i mean these guys up top they have formulas real formulas and if they bring their top end game it's impossible to stop and morikawa i i was against it for a while but he's in that class like he can do something better than everyone else if everything else is average 
he kind of boxes you out because he just has that gear with the irons. All right. That will do it for me on the Pat Mayo experience. Ben Raza, what do you got going on this week? Yeah, we are busy, busy, busy. So multiple shows Tuesday and Wednesday, I will have content out betting one and done DFS uh, all free. Come on in though. If you want the, you know, projections, ownership behind the paywall, we'd love to have you Uh, weekly passes, very cheap. Plus, there's March Madness. So good times over at Awesome. We'd love to have you guys inside the ropes. And Ben will be joining me live, which you can tune into on Mayo Media Network on Sunday evening as we fill out the bracket with our good luck charm, Tim Andercust, who we just fade and then all of a sudden we're good. Rick, rickrungood.com, Rick Run Good YouTube channel, CBS. What else you got going on this week? Yeah, that's right. Golf data, tools, and visualizations at rickrungood.com. We're going to rock it on the first cut pod uh, after every single round like, we, like we've like we been doing, which is always fun because we get to talk about, you know, first-round leader guys that normally wouldn't get talked about on a podcast, but they get some shine after 18 or 36 holes. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. All right. And expected from me the rest of the week, you'll have my cheat sheet for DraftKings, which will be up on DKPlaybook.com. All of my Pivots DraftKings article on FTNDaily.com. I will be live Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern time for a live chat. My final bets and picks, plus a weather report and DraftKings ownership for the week. So please tune into that. You can always subscribe to all of these shows on the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to that as well. New content every single day. I think that I I will be going with a quick showdown after round one going into Friday. And then the cut sweats live are going to be happening with Jeff Feinberg and friends. Maybe even you guys stop by if you got time as we sweat the cut line with everyone throughout the second round. That'll be starting probably around like 445, five o'clock. We'll see what time it finishes up on Thursday and then we'll have a projected time for it. You want to get in those draws for a hundred bucks. Go to my Twitter page at the PME and you can see the pin tweet up there to figure out how to do that. If not, in the meantime, just subscribe to Mayo Media Network. Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!